Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 197 of the show, and today we got the chance to sit down with Greg Oden. And for those of you who don't know Greg, he was the first overall draft pick in the NBA draft in 2007, and he played six seasons in the NBA. In college, he helped lead the Buckeyes to the NCAA Finals, and Greg struggled with some injuries in the NBA, but after retiring, he went back to OSU to finish his degree. Today, he is an athlete advisor for Educor, a financial firm based out of Baltimore that focuses on teaching athletes and entertainers about financial literacy and the importance of managing your finances. He's also playing in the Big Three, a three-on-three basketball league founded by Ice Cube and entertainment executive Jeff Quatnitz. And if you want to learn more about the Big Three or Educor, check out the links down in the show notes, as always. We hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. So Greg, welcome to Conquering Columbus. Thanks so much for joining us. I know you flew in from New York, so it's a, we appreciate you coming in and stopping by. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate you guys working with me to get me here. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, typically one of the first places we like to start is just start with a little bit of background, you know, life leading up to today, where you're at today. So 
any highlights along the way growing up leading into Ohio State basketball, the NBA, anything that particular that stands out to you? Well, I'm not going to lie. From growing up to Ohio State basketball and what I did today, there's a lot in there. So uh, kind of give me a direction where you want me to lead Maybe to. start back. Like, where do you, Did you grow up in Columbus? Where were you born? So I was born in Buffalo, New York. Um, moved to Terre Haute, Indiana in the third, fourth grade, and then moved to Indianapolis in the eighth grade. But, you know, those high school years was the ones that I consider. So I grew up in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, we were talking earlier, too, before you got here. Craig and I were talking, you know, it was Reese Humphrey because mm-hmm. they went to the same high school, right? Yeah, we went to the same high school, Reese Humphrey. So when my high school won three state basketball titles, uh, he was a year older than me, and he would he won two individual state wrestling titles. And, you know, wrestling and basketball was around the same time. So... Mm-hmm. And then, fun fact, uh, my house in Indiana is about a minute and a half from his parents' house in Indianapolis. That is wild. That's a super small world. It really is. So what age did you start playing basketball? Uh, fourth grade, when I came to uh, Terre Haute. Um, didn't really know how to fit in with that move from Buffalo, New York, and uh my best friend's dad saw me playing on the school lot, and uh, since then it's been it's been up for me. Since then, you know, my uh, principal in that elementary school used to say that uh, you know I was your first agent. You know, mm-hmm. shout out to Miss Harris, I love her. <laughs> so when you first started playing, did you immediately have a draw to the sport, or did you did you still experiment with other sports along the way? Um, I definitely played other sports. I played uh, football, actually, um, which I was actually pretty decent in. Um, but I was not good at basketball when I first played. Uh, my first basket was for the other team. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. I just know I had the ball, and I've played in like four games and never touched the ball. So when I had it, I shot it. But the reason why I had it was because they were pressing. And... Um, Somehow I was the one open, and they did that for a reason. So. In your defense, those baskets look the same. So honestly, it's very easy to get confused. Yeah, uh, or I was just terrible enough that I was just like, oh, shoot, shoot. Yeah, man, at least you shot the basketball, right? We did something with it. But yeah. so when did you start thinking, hey, you know what, I might be pretty good at this game? Honestly, I really didn't think that till about the seventh grade. You know, my mom worked a lot to provide for me and my younger brother. And I would just go to the Boys and Girls Club, just was always in there. I mean, it was something to do. And uh, I remember seventh grade, I was getting decent. And they were like, uh, did you ever try to dunk? And I ain't think about it. I'm shooting layups with my hand over the rim. And uh, once I dunked that summer of seventh grade and then I dunked in the game, that's when I was like, I might be the man now. <laughs> so you get to high school, do you start having aspirations for college pretty early on? Obviously, if you knew you were getting good at seventh grade, by freshman, sophomore, you probably knew, like, hey, I can play this to the next level. Uh, I never really thought about it while I was playing. I, I was really weird at that. Like, I just played. I just enjoyed the game. I tried not to think too far ahead, um, especially – when you see the Dwight Howards and Andrew Bynums coming out of high school, you know, like for me, that was a possibility at the time was, all right, this kid's not going to go to college. He's going to go straight 
to the league. And then my uh, senior class was the year that the one-year uh, NBA rule was put in. So technically, I was one of the first one and dones under the rule. Um, but really, in, in high school, I was just thinking about the state championships and just having fun, enjoying being a kid. Do you think that helped you reach reach that level of winning state championships and not being worried about? I mean, because the pressure of thinking about like this college rides on the line or NBAs in the future mm -hmm. could crumble some people. How'd you feel about that? That it wasn't a worry. Uh, I don't know if I would say that was the thing that got me, but I think um, the fact that I had Mike Conley on my team helped. Um, also, like I had really good coaches. So my high school coach has been the only high school coach in that school. So since it opened in like 71. So you remember uh, the center from North Carolina when uh, the um, freshman team at Michigan, Chris Weber, uh, Jim. What do they call them, Fab Five? Fab Five. Yeah, so yeah. when they lost, uh, the center for that North Carolina team went to my high school, Eric Montross, and was actually brought the only other um, state championship to my high school. So my high school coach was really good at coaching big men. I don't know if you remember this story. Um, one of the players from Indianapolis, he uh, first died on the court um, before they started putting the defibrillators in the gyms. His name was John Stewart. He went to my high school. It was actually, that was something that really uh, turned around my coach. And I'm so thankful for him, my coach, and all the work he's put into me and the guys that were there because he really had us focused and had us, you know, this is what it's about. And it didn't help that my freshman year, we lost to uh, a team by nine and I missed 10 free throws. Oof. Yeah, that that hurt. You that hurt on me. That. Yes, I. No, it wasn't nothing. That's, right. that's I always think about it. But zero night. points for the other team. So honestly, <laughs> we're still making progress. But I mean, you can really tell. So something that I know someone's a good coach when you hear someone and their former players talk about them like you just did. You know, mm -hmm. you can hear the emotion in your voice and the, mm -hmm. the gratitude. So it's it's great to have good coaches. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you're going through that was that Indian basketball. I mean, that's, that's like everything, mm -hmm. right? What was it like playing in that kind of environment? I mean, did you guys have big crowds in high school for some of your games? Um, so we used to have, like, I want to say our gym fit 4,500. We used to have about 6,000. Like, I remember looking up at some games and standing on the wall would be Edron James, you know, or Jermaine O'Neal would come watch our games and, you know, me and Mike Conley got getting invited to bowl at Peyton Manning's like celebrity bowlathon, payback bowl, and it was like, oh, okay, we must be opening up some eyes here in the city. So, um, I mean, I just remember them bringing in uh, bleachers, and that it would just be standing room only in most of our games. Yeah, it's wild. So, when that senior, when that rule goes to place your senior year, were you even? Looking at colleges at that point, taking any recruiting? I was, like actually. That? And one of the few college coaches to be like, well, we might as well give it our all, was Coach Thad Mata. You know, a lot of coaches just, well, first they didn't think that the rule was going to get put into place, so they thought that I was going to go. 
and uh, Wake Forest, Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan State were really the only four schools that I had on my list. So what stood out to you about Ohio State and Coach Mata? His energy. Um, he came in and he was like, he, he didn't care what any of the accolades said. He honestly was like, look, I think you're a great player, but I think I can help you be a better player, be the best player in the country. And just the type of person he was, you were attracted to that type of energy. You wanted to play for that guy. Um, it also helped that uh, they had just beat Illinois on that last second shot. And it also helped that they brought me to a football game, and that was the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. Yeah, those football games, man, they'll get a lot of – they get a lot of recruits. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> but, do. So you get to Ohio State, you're kind of already used to playing in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. And that year you guys make the run to the, the finals mm -hmm. of the NCAA tournament. What was that season like for you? And was there anything that kind of stood out to you or shocked you about college ball versus playing in high school? Well, I wasn't playing against 6'4 centers like I was in high school. You know, like we played the same team in high school for the state championship, and the starting center was 6'4. <laughs> so that, that's, that was a big shot coming in. And now every game, there's at least a 6'9 to 7'1 guy that I'm playing against. Um, but, you know, I kind of came in, like, my season was up and down because I first hurt my wrist in high school. So I missed, you know, the first six or seven games and then coming back I was still trying to catch up to everybody else you know I didn't go through the same preseason training as everybody else my win wasn't where it was supposed to be I couldn't shoot free throws with my right hand and I didn't think about that to the day before my first game but then playing I started to get comfortable and I told you guys like in the seventh grade once I dunked the sky's the limit. If you ever look at any of my my year at Ohio State, the first two games, all I wanted to do was dunk. And I felt, and I remember, because I felt so uncomfortable in the games. And I was like, I had decent games, maybe like 13 and 10 or something like that. It's double-double. But to me, I'm like, oh, God, no, I'm not there yet. And then I was going to say it's that second or third game, I finally got a dunk. And then I, I can walk with my chest out like I was, I'm, I'm here now. So I felt good there. So playing at that level, and even, I mean, transitioning a little bit into the NBA side of things, how much is confidence a factor into the skill set? I mean, you're separated by centimeters in terms of talent, the best mm -hmm. in the world at what they do. Mm -hmm. Is the mentality aspect pretty large? Yes. I mean, confidence, to have a, a coach and a coaching staff that believes in you to give you that confidence, to have a city behind you to give you that confidence, and then to have that confidence in yourself to put in that extra work to do everything you need to to make sure that you're ready for that game and all those 82 games at the next level. I mean, you have to have a GM that believes in you, an owner that believes in you. All those are factoring in. And when it doesn't, it's actually pretty tough to get to a place where you feel comfortable enough to play your best basketball in that setting. And so we talked a little bit earlier, but there's a lot of things that come with getting drafted that people don't necessarily think about going into it. I mean, you were telling me that you don't even get that first paycheck till October, mid-October, late November, yeah. right? But training camp, everything starts. You got to go get an apartment, get all the stuff mm -hmm. set up, get the family out to watch some of the games and stuff before you get that first paycheck. What was it like for you getting that, getting drafted and then going into that? Um, you don't know what to expect. You know, for one, it's exciting because you're just excited to be in that next 
you know, that next level to make it to where, you know, not a lot of basketball players make it to. But as I said earlier, you know, everybody thinks that it's, you know, as soon as your name's called, it's a million-dollar check. But I told him earlier that um, I flew out my whole family to New York and put them all up in hotels near and around Times Square. You know how much money that is? And, you know, you got to get a line of credit just to pay for a lot of this stuff. And as you said, moving to that new city, getting yourself settled in an apartment, and then you don't get that check till, you know, the season starts. And then it'll be two weeks before you get it after that. So, I mean, it's a lot that happens that people don't really realize when you first get your name called. What's that feeling, though, of striving for something your entire life, feeling like it's maybe a long shot at time unless you're really, really confident in yourself and you just knew it was coming, but eventually knowing, like, this is it, I finally made it to the next level. What was that like for you and your family? Well, uh, may he rest in peace, Mr. David Stern. Uh, I am so grateful for that opportunity and to walk up those steps and shake that man's hand. But the thing that went through my head was don't trip walking up these stairs (laughs) while everybody's watching. Um, And it really, for me, it was such a whirlwind that it was hard to really process everything that was going on because as a number one draft pick, you're the first one to go back to do media. But then in turn, you're also the last one to leave because every media wants to talk to you. And I remember that because after that, I had to fly to Portland uh, on the private plane because they had a parade for me the next morning. I only had an hour from the time I was done doing interviews to say bye to my whole family that came in town to, to witness me get drafted that night. You know, you don't even get a chance to really celebrate it or actually process everything that happened a lot of times because, you know, as soon as your name's drafted, it's about what's next, what's the next move, how we get into this city, and let's start making plans to build this championship dynasty. And that's a really tough situation to be in. Well, I'm not saying it's a tough situation to be in, but it's a very new to most people, and you just don't really know how to handle it or – at a young age, you know, 19 that I was, I didn't really know how to process everything that was going on and actually enjoy the moment like I should have. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show. Studio 301. Mike and I, we've been working with Studio 301 on our rebrand, doing our website, doing some new photography, working on some logo adjustments, and just really positioning Conquering Columbus Uh, in a more professional light and I can tell you Mike it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency they come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is is awesome I'm super excited about it yeah I haven't been more excited about pretty much anything since we've done the podcast like I really enjoy talking to all our guests but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light and you know Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with they've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special so i think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening and uh, i hope you guys love it as much as we do and one of the best things is the rebrand not only positions conquering columbus as a whole but all of our guests and more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that you know they deserve we have super super high quality amazing people on here and i think that this is going to represent them really well so it's been great so thanks again to studio 301 yeah if you guys want to learn more about studio 301 go check out the links down in the show notes help support kyle and local teams here in columbus and uh, thanks so much for tuning in let's get back to the interview 
Yeah, it's got to be a challenge. And so you get to the NBA, uh, you know, what, what's that first season like? And, you know, highs, lows, anything in between going through practicing with the team? Um, well, uh, it was definitely some highs being drafted. But for me, uh, I was injured in the summertime, mm -hmm. and I had season-ending surgery before the season even started. So it was definitely a, a low for me, um, feeling like, as I said, I had a whole city, you know, that was counting on me. I had this new team that was counting on me, coaches, you know. I just felt a whole bunch of pressure to deliver, and I physically couldn't. And um, at that young age, you don't really know how to handle those situations. Uh, and for me, I was always a quiet kid and always felt that you was out of sight, you was out of mind. So I thought just staying out the way at the time was the way for me to just process everything. And it really didn't help that much because at this point, I'm 19, 20. I don't even know how to handle my own thoughts as well as I thought I did. So to be to have that pressure and then to isolate myself as much as I did, it, it wasn't a good situation for me. Yeah, and throughout your career, I mean, injuries were, were a struggle. I mean, what was it like dealing with that? You know, what was your mindset like? How did you think about fighting through that? What, what kept you going? The, the want to prove that I can do this, that I was worth that number one pick, to keep on fighting back from injury after injury, surgery after surgery, just to get back out there to say, all right, I'm, I did it. But, you know, at one point it was like, all right, I'm back, but what am I actually doing this for? Because at that point you, it was so many for me that I kind of lost sight on actually why I was trying to play the game of basketball and with it being taken away so much, it was like, I just enjoyed playing. I never thought about anything else down the line. I just enjoyed going out there, dunking on a guy, competing, blocking shots. And then when it's taken away and all you, you're in the weight room all day and I'm never seeing the court, by the time I came back, I was like, all right, I did it. But I didn't have that fire that I used to have when I just wanted to go out there and compete. So you reflect back on the experience and you're sitting back there today. What sticks out to you is, is the, uh, the highs and the lows of the entire experience during your tenure in the NBA? The highs and the lows in the NBA. Highs, I got paid. Uh, another high um, was everything that I was exposed to as an NBA player. The travel, the coming into my own, you know, as a young man. Being the head of my family at, at that point, what's your name being called, um, being the breadwinner of your family, uh, the people that I've met, um, the things I was able to do and bring my family along to do as well, those were all highs. Now, lows for me, I've dealt with, you know, definitely opioid and alcohol abuse during that time. I wasn't happy at a lot of points in my life. But I also did not find out who I was because, as I said, I was just trying to isolate myself. And I felt like at that point is a time I should have been discovering who Greg Oden was as a young man with all this fame, celebrity, and money and taking advantage of that when I isolated myself so much that you know I, I really felt like I handicapped myself as a person 
by not really dealing with who I could have been. So some people from the outside, you know, they might reflect on that situation and think like somebody who's reached the NBA and they're providing for their family and like they're in the limelight, they, how could they not be happy? How could they not feel like they're on top of the world? As you reflect back on that, well, then the reason I ask is I think it's important for people who want to chase that type of glory and think it's mm-hmm. going to fulfill them. Like, why do you why do you think that you weren't as fulfilled as somebody might expect at that time? I think for me, at that time, I wasn't as, as happy as I should have been because I was doing a lot for other people, and I never took the time to think about what was best for me. You know, it could have been... Like, I took some time and said, what fun could I have right now in the moment? Um, but thinking about, you know, at this age now and looking back at it, I never said, all right, Greg, what do you need to do to be your best self, to be the happiest you can be, to continue this therapy? Because that's when you thought the best. That's when you felt the best. To continue down this road of working out this way, to continue your Pilates and yoga, because that's when your body felt best, you know? Um, And then when some, you know, some bumps in the roads would come up, then I revert back to that, you know, isolating myself. And I was never able to get a strong enough base of self to be able to handle those bumps in the roads that I came across when I had another injury come up or when something with tabloids happened that made me feel like, you know, it was a big deal when really it wasn't. So, um, yeah, Was that no, good no, enough? No, I think it was. <laughs> I, I, it was really, really important. I mean, the, the importance of focusing on yourself and not letting other people's expectations for you mm-hmm. drag push you towards down the road in life like that's really really important and I think that's something that doesn't get stated enough but so what when did it click for you you know when because it seems like now you've kind of found something you want to pursue and you went back to school and got finished your degree up so when did you start thinking okay I'm going to focus on what Greg wants to do uh it was actually after I was retired because at one point I'm retired and I'm here in the city, going out all the time. I got real used to arena, um, but I needed some direction. You know, you're not just waking up in the morning, waking to 11 o'clock to go to the next bar. You know, you can only do that for so long. When you really, for me, I was like, I, I need to do something. Honestly, Coach Dad Mata, um, he gave me a call, and me and him had a long chat, and he told me he was like dude, just come to the gym, come to practice. And when I did, I got around basketball again. I, I felt happy again, you know, that, that childhood excitement, being out there and competing. And I wasn't competing. I was just watching practice, you know. They helped, they let me rebound for the guys and just being around, talking to them, being able to give them a little bit of wisdom, um, go out there on scout team and dunk on somebody. It made me feel good. And honestly, with doing that, I then, you know, realized that, oh, Ohio State has a degree completion program. Well, why not? You know, let's just buckle down. And for the next three years, I mean, whatever I want to do, if I'm – so I'm at school and I'm around these guys, I'm like, okay, maybe I want to go into coaching. Well, to coach in college, you need a college degree. So that degree completion program was something I had my eye set on. So now I look up, oh, I got a path, you know, I want to coach. What's the first thing? Get my college degree. So now I'm heading down this road. 
And that's kind of when I was like, all right, you know, I'm a grown man now. And um, I met my wife, my now wife. Uh, we have a three and a half year old beautiful baby girl. And that's when I really was like, okay, I, I have to have a plan now. And wherever I, I make a plan, I need to make steps to get to that plan and then keep moving forward from there. It's, it's something Josh and I talk a lot about. You know, when we left college wrestling, and it was just college, right? We didn't play in the NBA for six years, but when we left college wrestling, you leave something like a, that gives you a purpose, mm -hmm. right? And you go to now, what do I do, mm -hmm. right? So having and finding that purpose, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that mm -hmm. coming back and finding that purpose for you could really reroute some things. It's just so important for anybody out there, like, if you don't have a purpose, start exploring different things, find something you enjoy, and get after it. Well, you have a little bit more insight because me and him started talking about this a little bit earlier. But, I mean, you know, getting my degree was the first step. You know, after that, you know, it was kind of pursue um, coaching. But um, I was like every other college graduate, and this was just this past May, May of 2019, because then I graduated and I looked up and I was like, I did it. Now what? <laughs> What's next? Uh, what am I going to do with this degree? Because once you do it, there's no blueprint for that. You know, you get your degree and you have, unless you have like an internship already set up, a lot of us is like, all right, uh, what am I going to do with this sport industry degree? Uh, coach high school? Uh, you just played in the NBA. Uh, is that, you sure that's what you want to do? Uh, coach college. All right. What college coach is going to give me a job? No, you need to go out there and network. I've never been good at networking, so what's the first thing at networking? You know, uh, talk to somebody, get their card, reach out to them a couple of days later, keep that, you know, relationship going, meet somebody else, you know, get their card, keep that relationship going. And, you know, it took a long time for me to realize, because I was never a networking guy. I was like, hi, nice to meet you, keep it moving. <laughs> but, you know, when you get to this next stage, you know, everybody gets an opportunity because you're in the right place at the right time. You know the right person. So networking for us adults is one of the most important things you can have. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, a lot of people, um, like as Mike and I are in these startup businesses and recruiting heavily and trying to scale the companies and things like that, people talk mm -hmm. about find former athletes, find former athletes. And I think some people can take – uh, what they had in athletics and the drive and the passion, and they can translate that into a professional world and know how to do mm -hmm. it. But um, it, it is a really hard transition to say, okay, you know, I pursued something with all my life and I found tons of fulfillment. You talk about going back and playing basketball and it made you feel alive again. Mm -hmm. to, to translate that and almost uh, like reinvent yourself in the professional aspect is, is an underestimated thing, I think, like it's much so more difficult than people yes. think. Yes, it is. And I mean, one thing that I have learned in the past year was, like you said, first off, it's difficult. But when you set out a plan, and a guy, Jason Barger, who I've been working with, a motivational speaker, wrote a couple of books, Thermostat Culture is the most recent one. He talks about, you know, aligning your likes and your goals, and then taking the right steps to get to that goal and you know before I had ever written it down you know how difficult that was for me to do you know, well yeah I, I want to do that and all right I'll just do that to get down there but actually writing it down and saying like all right what's my three-month plan to get here 
month one, what am I going to do to get me just a step closer? Month two, how do I build on from that? And month three, where am I checking on my plans and my goals at? And how am I here? And how I'm going to keep on building on that as well? And um, when you learn that, I think that helps you. But it is beyond difficult to figure that out. So we fast forward to present day, we're March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do the goals look like for the next three to five, 10 years, however month, far out your plan, and what are you chasing now? So uh, I guess I'll go into what I'm doing right now. So I'm a f- athlete advisor for a financial education company. I do have that script on memory, on tap, whenever somebody needs it. Um, the company is called Educor. Um, it's based out of Baltimore. It is uh, for athletes and entertainers just to teach the athlete and entertainer financial literacy. Um, a lot of us, like myself, you know, came into a bunch of money just like that with my name being called, and nobody in my family has ever seen that amount of money you know, in my lineage. And people don't understand how to keep it, how to make it work, how to take advantage of that type of money in this small window of an athlete that we have. And honestly, for me, I want guys to be able to save it and be in a better situation than I was when I was done playing. Now, I'm not saying I'm in a terrible situation. I'm just saying, as a young athlete, I wish I was more engaged in the investment talks. I wish I understood what all my financial advisor was doing. I wish I talked to my CPA and had him look over investment deals. You know, I wish I had my lawyer look over everything that was brought to me so I can understand it. So at the age I am now, you know, I would better understand business than, you know, the stuff that I'm learning now, you know, through trial and error. You know, if you have a financial advisor and when he brings something to you or he tells you to sign this, he better be educating you on exactly what that means. Because, you know, a lot of us, when you're done playing, you might not have that money to keep that big financial advisor. And now you might want to take care of your own money or you might you got to explain it to your wife, you know, your family. But you want to understand where what you're doing with your own money. And that's the tough part, especially when you don't have that background in your family. And you see guys now, I mean, first one that comes to mind for me is LeBron James, mm-hmm. who's, he's been investing in a lot of different businesses. Mm-hmm. He's, I think we're starting to see a trend towards a bigger focus on financial mm-hmm. literacy, but what are some of the struggles you have when you visit some of these teams and, and getting people to engage in that process? Uh, probably the struggles is just getting guys to really speak up and say they don't understand. Because I, I, I used to sit in them same rooms that they did and having guy talk over my head and acting like I understand, but really I didn't. I just maybe got one thing out and kept it moving, but I probably never put it into motion. I really want guys to be like, especially with me there, you know, I'm trying to make them feel comfortable. Like, look, everything you're going through, I've probably been through it or am still going through it, you know? It's okay to ask a question. There is no dumb question, especially when it's a, something that we all don't understand inherently, you know? Uh, you know, uh, a financial advisor of 28 years, you know, can definitely talk over my head and sentence, in a sentence I wouldn't even know, and I'd be too scared to be like, wait, what did you just say? I didn't understand that one, so. so- any other advice outside of what we talked about today that as you're reflecting back on your life, your career, your goals for the future that our listeners across the city, uh, you'd like them to hear or know? And for deeper context, it's like 
24 to 36 years old, usually young professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs, former athletes, um, anything that pops in your mind? Yes. Um, as a, a young person in general, try to understand who you are. What are your likes? What are your dislikes? Who are the people that you want around you? Who are the people that's going to be honest to you? You know, you need to have people where you're going to hear different point of views and then you turn around and make the best decision for you. And sometimes it sounds selfish and a lot of times you can't do it if you got kids. But, you know, if you're not your best self, how are you going to take care of your child? You know, also just try to learn as much as you can. You know, anything you come across, anything you're doing, try to educate yourself because once you're doing that, you want to bring that and step up with that. You know, take that education and take a step up from that. And it's tough to do, um, but also learn how to network. Be the best networking guy you could possibly be, guy or gal you could possibly be. And finally, I would say enjoy life. Please have a smile on your face. Anything that you're doing that you can't smile about, I know some things are always tough, and I understand that, but realize there should be joy in your life. And if there's not, that is a problem you really need to access and figure out where you want to go with your life. Make goals, and I know that's a lot, but those are some of the things that help me get to a better place in my life. And I did it at a at that age of 27, 28, and you know, after going through, you know, number one draft pick, being a celebrity, having a lot of money, you know, I still had to turn around and figure out who I was as a person and where I wanted to go in my life. Really good advice, Greg. So that leads us to kind of one of our last questions of the show, centered around the theme here on Conference mm -hmm. Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. And without telling you too much about why we picked that particular phrase, okay. what do you think of when you hear it as it applied to your life career? Live uncomfortably? Live uncomfortably, yep. Uh, ride a scooter in 20 degree weather. <laughs> Welcome to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Here we are>. Yes. <laughs> I've done that multiple times. Um, but I don't know, I, I guess, I look at that and say, you know, push yourself. You know, we hear about a lot of people who, in the times that they've struggled and pushed themselves the most is when they figured out the most about themselves. Perfect. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate you taking the time to come and share your story with our listeners. Well, thank you guys for having me, and I really appreciate this. Perfect. Well, Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Greg Oden. If you want to learn more about him, check out the links down in the show notes. We appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. .org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. 
The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.